God bless you, everybody. Wonderful to sing that magnificent hymn of uh, truth. How great thou art. How great is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a great, great worship leader we have in Noe. Please express your appreciation. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Are, are, oh, so there's one Irish person here. Hey, way to go. So equal time. Listen, in, either, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we reposted all the seats green. Look, you see? So um, with all due respect to you, my favorite Irish person is Marty Walsh, who went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. One of the most wonderful, loving uh, devoted followers of the Lord Jesus, devoted husbands. Stella Walsh is his wife. And I know if he were with us, he would be decked in uh, green. Very proud of his Irish heritage. But the most important identification for him came to be his identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we miss Marty. And people like that make heaven even more attractive than it already is to us. So we love Marty and others of our church members who preceded us in being reunited with the Lord Jesus. And we love you, Noe. Thank you again for serving us so wonderfully as you do. Do you notice I said I love Noe? Uh, why? Well, I love Noe because of who he is. I love Noe because of what he does. Uh, which means I do not love Noe unconditionally. Let's just be honest and get it all out. You see, I love Noe because. Now, once you're loved because, that means you're not loved unconditionally. Now, you may have been the recipient of the uh, wonderful love of marvelous parents, but at the risk of offending you, not even your parents have had the capacity to love you without condition. Even the best of parents love their children because of who they are or because of something they do or do not do. That's the nature of even the best of human love. So let me just tell you this to cheer you up and encourage you. You are not loved. There you go. Unconditionally except by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, his love is entirely different. His is the only unconditional love you can or will ever experience. His love is not contingent, you see, on anything you do or, or who you are. His love simply emanates from his character and his grace and his mercy freely bestowed upon us. Now, because his love is the only unconditional love you or I will ever experience, we don't get it. It's very difficult for us to fully experience the love of God, uh, nor to comprehend it fully. It's foreign to us. We can't liken it to anything else. Now, knowing this, one, as uh, lofty as the Apostle Paul, even made this a matter of prayer. He addressed a group of believers, just like us, at a place called Ephesus. And this is what he prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, 
verses 18 and 19. He prayed that they may be able, look, to comprehend with all the saints, that's people like us, what is the breadth and the length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, look, which surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's kind of an irrational love. We cannot make sense of it, and therefore it's so difficult to comprehend and wrap your mind around. Why would God love ones as unlovely as us? You see, it's incomprehensible. Now, God himself knows we need some help with this concept of his unconditional love, and that's why, in my opinion, he made available to us the book of Hosea. Part of its, its purpose is to help us get a picture of the extent of God's unconditional love. So what we're going to do tonight is to continue our study in this great book by taking a close look at chapter 3. It's only five verses, but it is stock full of meaning. As you will recall, God uh, ordained that this young new minister, Hosea, would take a wife who became quite unfaithful to him. Her name was Gomer. And we know thus far that part of the reason for that is to give a picture of God's love for his unfaithful partner, Israel. And yet, as we go through these five verses, you will see that there's nothing at all in this chapter to indicate that either Gomer or Israel did one singular, solitary thing that would even remotely merit the unconditional love either of Hosea for Gomer or Almighty God for Israel and by extension, us. You see, whoever may be a recipient of God's love is loved without condition. Let's take a look. Hosea chapter one, uh, chapter three, verse one. Then the Lord said to me, the me is Hosea. Here's what God told him to do. Go again, love a woman, that's Gomer, who is loved by her husband. He didn't cease to love her. Yet she's an adulteress. She had other partners. Even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel. So you see, I'm not making this up. The whole picture of Hosea and his unrequited love with his unfaithful partner, Gomer, is meant to be a picture of God's unconditional love for Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Now hang in there. We'll talk about raisin cakes in just a minute. First notice, Hosea is given a command by God to do this. He's told to go again and love his wife, though his wife presently is with another man. How in the world could he do it? Could you please try this on for size and try to get in touch with the intense hurt he must be feeling? Some of you sadly, tragically have experienced something just like this. You've been wedded to an unfaithful partner. Uh, the intensity of the pain you experience, I mean, is beyond words. Think about uh, Hosea's experience. Think about his anger 
You could understand it. So could I. He betrothed her. They exchanged vows and she's off with someone else. Think about his anger. He cannot possibly, folks, feel love towards his wife at this point. And yet in spite of his feelings, God told him to do something which he could do by sheer force of will. So uh, it occurred to me that thoughts and feelings are indeed wonderful servants, but they're horrible masters. And too many of us cease to do the right thing, the thing God wants us to do, because it doesn't feel good to us. We don't feel right about it. Folks, there comes a time when you just do the right thing out of sheer, deliberate act of the will. That's exactly what Hosea did. Now, I want you to see a contrast here in verse 1. Look, the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Can you see that? He loves them and is pursuing after them. They love raisin cakes and are pursuing after raisin cakes. What is up? While he is loving her, what is she loving? Raisin cakes. What is that all about? Well, they were used in connection with various Canaanite forms of worship. Uh, The worship of Canaanite gods involved the ingestion of raisin cakes. And so while Israel's God is in hot pursuit of her, Israel is ignoring him and instead engaged in the worship of Canaanite gods. Here's the point I'd like to make. You and I must consider what we are chasing after while God all along is chasing after us. Think of it, folks, just between you and him. He's in hot pursuit of us. He's that husband to whom we have often been unfaithful. He's not turned away. He's again loving a woman who's taken on another partner. Just as with Hosea and Gomer, perhaps at times with folks like you and I as well. What are you chasing after? What am I chasing after instead of almighty God? Is it something as worthless as raisin cakes? Gomer left her husband so as to chase after another man. Israel left her God so as to chase after idols. Who or what are you chasing after in place of almighty God? Well, though Hosea's wife left him for another man, uh, God tells Hosea to go after her. Overwhelming. In spite of her unfaithfulness, Hosea was told to demonstrate his abiding love for her and to take her back, nonetheless, as his wife. In so doing, you see, Hosea would be, without a word, portraying the Lord's unending love for Israel in spite of her blatant spiritual adultery. So here's the point. No matter how far you or I have fallen away from the God who has redeemed us, he wants you and I back. I don't know what your situation is. Sometimes I've come to church too, like you, but not in a good spiritual frame of mind. 
I don't know exactly what it is that moved me to come to church at times when I've been on the run from God and distant from him. And then the evil one moves in to persuade me. Perhaps you've had this experience that we've gone too far. He's lost sight of us and we could never be reconciled to him again. Why even try? Well, this book of Hosea has persuaded me anew. Oh, no. No matter how far we may have fallen away from God, he wants us back. I see it with Hosea in his pursuit of Gomer. I see it with God in his unending pursuit of Israel. Now notice what it says in verse 2. So I bought her for myself. Hosea is speaking. I bought Gomer for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Now, in verse 1, we read, God told Hosea to go and again love his adulterous wife. Now we read this phrase, so I bought her. Folks, that's called love in action. I don't think at this point he has vibrant feelings of delight, affection, and love for his wife. But this is really love, a deliberate act of the will. It's a demonstration of love, even though the feelings are not there yet. Hosea made this deliberate choice to love his wayward wife in spite of his feelings. But what about those legitimate, hurt, God-given feelings? What could he do about them? Could I suggest two things? He could pour out his feelings to God in prayer. Have you done this lately? Uh, The feelings should not master us, but they're there in us nonetheless. One of the healthy ways to deal with feelings is to pour out your heart authentically and honestly before Almighty God. And the second thing, as you see, is uh, Hosea, we could obey God in spite of feelings and then see how God could change our feelings. Let me illustrate. Now, I've shared this before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but it fits. Uh, When I was in the military many years ago, I was led to the Lord by a fine person who then discipled me. So we stayed together for about a year as roommates, and he discipled me in the faith. After a year, he said, Stuart, it's time for us to cease being roommates. I want you to room with someone else. He said, it's time for you to grow. And as I've discipled you, it's time for you to disciple another. Well, I thought that was quite a good idea until he told me whom he suggested I room with. He said, I want you to room with, well, the fellow's name was John. I told him, he was a guy in in Bible study there in the military. I said to him, the fellow who led me to the Lord, I don't like John. And he said, yes, that's why I want you to room with him. Yeah, I want you to learn to manifest love for him, even though you don't have feelings of affection for him. Well, I didn't quite understand that, but I thought if God used this guy to lead me to him, surely I should follow his leadership and wisdom. So I went to John, and we got us a room there in the military, and Uh, It was his, and I was moving into it, and I took the top bunk, 
uh, he was in the bottom. He was a bigger guy, so I had to climb up that thing. And the walls of the room were painted dark maroon because he was a night shift worker. And so to sleep during the day, he painted the walls real dark. Well, this was horrible for me to live in there. It was like a cave. So we came up with a compromise to repaint the room, not white, but some kind of off-white color. And I thought this would be a good project we had and could have in common, and it would affect kind of a bonding between us. So we set up a Saturday morning. I told them, I'll get the paint, I'll get the brushes, and let's just, you know, meet together Saturday morning, whatever time it was, and we'll get this thing painted. Well, uh, I'm there at the room at whatever time it was, Saturday morning. I purchased all the equipment. I didn't ask him for any, to contribute to it. And, and one hour goes by and two and three and all the rest, and he's not showing up. And I thought, well, let me just get started. He'll be here sooner or later. Well, late in the afternoon, it was about 5 o'clock, I finished painting the whole room, and this uh, creep <laughs> blew me off. He didn't show up. And I thought, man, Mark, the guy who led me to the Lord, what's he doing to me? Man, I do not like this guy at all and all the rest. And, and then I, I began to see, in spite of feelings, maybe I could demonstrate love to him. And so I remembered his birthday and would buy him a birthday present. And I would do different things. One time I made his bed, you know, without being asked. And, and here's what I found. I'm not making this up. I found over time that my rather intense dislike for him uh, w was giving way to, no, I'm not going to say deep feelings of affection. I won't go so far as to say that. But the intensity of my disdain and dislike was really changing. I found myself uh, concerned about him and his family, taking an interest in his life, moved to pray for him. And all of those things. And I saw, wow, I was a relatively new Christian. I saw, look how if I do the right things before God, even if it be by sheer force of will, Almighty God will honor those acts of obedience by changing my feelings. And that's what we can do with our feelings of disdain towards another brother or sister in Christ, even a spouse, somebody. We can't change those feelings ourselves, but if we demonstrate unconditional love for that person anyway, God will intervene and change our feelings. So Hosea is directed here not to feel love. No, but to show love. And it must have been extraordinarily difficult for him to do so. Can you imagine it? Now, folks, you and I are filled with many romantic, I think, illusions about love. We can thank TV and Hollywood for that. But one of these illusions is that love uh, has very little to do with our will. It's just some gushy feeling, you know, some altered state of consciousness. But uh, I find that the scriptures show us that love is largely a matter of the will. It has much less to do with all of these gushy feelings and much more to do with an exercise of the will in the direction of demonstrating love for a person. And so what we're seeing here in Hosea is a picture of God's love for unfaithful Israel, and the picture is coming through Hosea and his love for unfaithful Gomer. Now, because God loves us, because uh, uh, Hosea loved his wife, Hosea bought her. 
Folks, love can be very costly. For instance, consider what it cost Hosea. Please imagine this, and I don't want to be unduly graphic, but I'm telling you, this is the reality. His wife, imagine, is being auctioned off now. She's on the auction block. She's acting as a prostitute, and she's going to be sold as a slave. Slaves in that day were oftentimes uh, displayed on the auction block unclothed so that the potential buyer can examine potential property to see if he thought this one is a good physical specimen. Hosea's there. His wife has been stripped naked. Potential buyers are gawking at his wife. Please get in touch. I did not write this book. We're just reading it. This is plenty graphic uh, because it's a reality. Men are watching. One shouts, I bid five shekels for her. Another said, six for me. Another seven. And so goes the bidding. And then all of a sudden, a loud voice from the crowd is lifted. It's Hosea's own voice who says, I bid 15 shekels. Can you imagine it? He's bidding even for his own wife. And uh, the purchase goes to him. He redeems her. That's what redemption is. He redeems her, though naked and ashamed. He buys her back. He now owns her. He could kill her. We could understand that impulse, but he doesn't. He clothes her in new clothes, and he brings her home. How costly love could be. Do you realize through this how much God loves you and I who are Christians? We too stood naked and ashamed on the auction block. And look at the purchase price by which God has redeemed us. Imagine the father himself being the auctioneer and saying, what do you bid for this person or this person or that person? What is your bid? And the son steps up and answers, I bid my blood. And the father says, sold for the blood of my own son. And we've been bought with what a price. Hosea bought Gomer for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Hosea paid part of the purchase price with money and the rest of it with grain. Why didn't he pay for all of it in cash? Could it be he didn't have enough? Could it be he paid all that he had in currency and had to make up for the rest in grain? And yet he was willing to do it. Could I ask you, are you aware of what God was willing to do to pay for you and to pay for me? What was the purchase price God was willing to spend and offer for one such as you and I? God redeemed us from the auction block, just as Hosea did his wife, and he did so with the very blood of his only begotten son. He had every right, therefore, to do with this what he wants. And what did he do? He clothed us, and he said, now come with me. Be at home with me. I desire a relationship with you. All your stuff is cast behind my back. 
I've clothed you now with garments of righteousness. It's so hard to internalize. I need the reality of Hosea's experience with his own wife. I need that picture to help me internalize the concept, don't you see, of God's unconditional love. You've never experienced it by any other human. This is not natural love. This is supernatural love, and that's why we need help getting it. Folks, our purchase price tells us what we are worth to God. Are you a Christian? You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. Now look at verse 3. It says, then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. You shall not play the harlot. Hosea here is speaking to his wife. Nor shall you have a man. So I will also be toward you. These are the terms of the reconciliation. Why? Because though Hosea's love is tender, it's also a disciplinary love. So to God's with reference to Israel, so to God's, with reference to us. And so there are guidelines given for the restoration of the uh, relationship. Here's one of the guidelines. No other relationships, says Hosea. No sexual activity with any other man. That's what he says. In fact, some say, I think they're onto something, that there was for a spell no sexual activity even between Hosea and Gomer. You say, what? Why? They're married. You cannot simply quickly resume normal marital relations after infidelity such as this. It doesn't happen that way. It takes some time. Trust has to be restored. Sincerity has to be demonstrated. Marital responsibilities have been breached. Therefore, Marital benefits will come, but it takes time. So by observing this overwhelming situation between Hosea and Gomer, don't you see Israel is giving a, a, given a picture to help her understand um, that they too would experience a time of separation from the Lord and uh, from his blessing. That's what's happening to Israel today. Some people say it's permanent and God has replaced her. You don't understand the book of Hosea if that's what you think. This is a temporary coming away until full restoration, repentance, and reconciliation takes place. As with Hosea and Gomer, so too God and Israel. Folks, if God has given up on his bride, Israel, you're next. The whole point of this book is, as with Israel, so too with us. Folks, this is unconditional love. The reason we jump to replacement theology is it makes sense. It surely makes sense to me. God entered into a marital covenant with Israel. Israel scorned his love, took on other suitors. It makes perfect sense for God to dump Israel and look for another uh, marital partner. But that's the point. God's love is not sensible. It's his irrational love. It's not evoked by the loveliness of the object of his love. It emanates from his loving character. Folks, if you don't see it here with Hosea and Gomer, if you don't see it here with God and Israel, you're probably not going to see it in your own life because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. As with Israel, so too 
with the church today. So we read this in verse 4. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days, look, without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Why? See, these are all the things Israel then, even now, depended on. And so in his love for her, God chose to deprive her of these things, which leads me to this thought. We should thank God, not only for what he has given us, but also for what he has taken away. That is the perfecting love of Almighty God. He loves us so much he's not willing to share us. Hosea was not willing to share Gomer. God is not willing to share Israel. God is not willing to share us who are his under the new covenant. Therefore, he's willing to subject us to times of deprivation so as to motivate us to come home. So whether through abundance or deprivation, our heavenly husband, Almighty God, is always at work to enhance our marital relationship with him. And then we read in verse 5, afterward, that means later, the sons of Israel will return. Hasn't happened. That's why it says afterward, future. They will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Can you see how this militates against replacement theology? Folks, I'm beating this thing to death because if you think God's replaced Israel, then you're probably prone to think at some point he's going to replace you. Don't do that to yourself. Replacement theologians miss the word afterward and the words in the last days. They're looking to Israel's spiritual status now. She's a spiritual harlot. Jewish people are committing spiritual adultery. I know that. But that's not the end of the story. I didn't write this. Afterward, and in the last days, they'll come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness. That's what it says. Help me to believe this. Well, that's why God gave us the picture of Hosea and Gomer. So, you see where it says they'll come not only to the Lord their God, but also David their king? Well, we're not just talking about David, the shepherd boy here who became king. We're talking about David's greater son. What's his name? Yes, King Jesus. Absolutely. So, folks, if you look at this carefully, this chapter portrays through Hosea's marriage to Gomer, Israel's past, present, and future. Here's what I mean. Israel's past has been characterized by idolatry. You have to admit that. Israel's present is characterized by distance and deprivation. That's true today. And Israel's future will be characterized by repentance and restoration. Why is that important? As with Israel, so to anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's so important about us getting this right. So Hosea did not wait, do you notice, for Gomer to be worthy. And God is not waiting for Israel to be worthy. And God didn't wait for you or I to be worthy, did he? Before he bestowed upon us his unconditional love and forgiveness. Now, as we draw to a close, I want you to listen to the words of Paul once again, this time in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. While we were still helpless or weak, at the right time, 
Christ died for the ungodly. God didn't wait for us to be worthy. In fact, he waited for the time when there would be sufficient evidence that we're unworthy. How did you come to Jesus? I'll tell you how. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. You did the same thing Gomer did. <laughs> Nothing worthy about her. God didn't wait for us to be spiritually or morally strong, did he? He didn't wait for us to be godly. Look what the text says. While we were helpless and ungodly, at the right time, Christ died for us. It's so hard to internalize. What helps me is Hosea. Well, that's just what was exemplified in Hosea's response to Gomer. God didn't wait until we had performed well enough uh, to want his love or to merit his love. Uh, the text says, at the right time, he acted in love and died for the ungodly. Who does that? You see, this is the irrational love of God. We weren't merely weak and helpless and unable to please God. Folks, fess up. We didn't want to please God. We were ungodly, yeah, helpless and ungodly. God didn't wait for us to get it together. God didn't wait for us to get ourselves together. Christ died for us while we were entirely alienated from him and had no interest in him. We were helpless, weak, guilty. And at that time, the text says, Christ died for the ungodly. You know what you and I do? This is understandable. We give ourselves to those who are lovable. Someone's lovability quotient <laughs> stirs up our love. That's how we do it. That's human love. But God's love is categorically different. He gave himself for those who are unlovely. That's why we wrestle with it. His love is not natural love. It's, as I mentioned, super, it's supernatural. He gave himself up for the unlovely. He gave himself up for the ungodly. At the right time, the text says, Christ died for the weak and the helpless and the ungodly. We see it typified in the book of Hosea. At the right time, Jesus died for you and I, unlovely, ungodly ones. You know what this means? It means God's love is unmotivated by anything in us. It means God's love is entirely unmerited. And that's good news. I'll tell you why. If his love for us is unmerited, it means it will never end. If his love is contingent on some, something meritorious in you or I, when we cease to be meritorious, then so too will God's love. <gasps> but his love not being provoked by anything in us, only uh, flowing from his loving nature is assurance. His love for us will never, ever end. Because God's love for us is sourced, not in us, it's sourced in God. Therefore, we who have accepted the crucified Son of God are eternally loved because God is eternally the same. Do you get it? You know what I think? Uh, many of us believe God for the point of salvation, but I don't think we're so good at believing God for the rest of the journey. 
I think along the way, we really think we've fallen into disfavor and he's kind of turned his back on us. Well, uh, when you do that, it's because you're looking for something in you that might provoke his love and you're coming up short because you're a wretch. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) You're weak, you're helpless, you are by nature ungodly. You're not going to find anything in you (laughs) that stirs up God to love you. His is not a human love, however. What stirred up God to love you and me is that God is love. It's his nature. There was a woman who for years had been verbally and even physically abused, mistreated by her husband. She finally decided uh, she needed to put space between herself and him for her own protection, psychological and otherwise, so she left. She went to live apart from him. Over the course of time, he realized his wrongdoing, became broken and rather repentant and began to write to her several letters, but not a one was responded to. Uh, Finally, one day, he went in person to find her. Uh, She was staying at a kind of a dingy, run-down motel room. He knocked on the door, and she opened it, and at that point, he asked her to return home with him. And much to his surprise, and perhaps ours, she said, yes, I'm willing to do so. He was taken aback and said, I don't get it. I've been writing to you for months, and you never responded. Why are you now agreeing to come home? And she said, well, you see, those letters of yours were just words. But this time, you came in person. Folks, what we got from Jesus is not just words. He came in person. Don't you see? He's exemplified in what Hosea did. Hosea went to his unfaithful, adulterous wife in person. Almighty God has come to Israel, his unfaithful, adulterous wife, in person through her own Messiah. And Almighty God has come personally to each of us in person, not just as a statement, a verbal statement of his love, but as a demonstration of his love. What's the point of all this. Folks, God came for undeserving ones. That's you and you always will be, and me too. But this is the very unconditional love of God for all who accept it. That's the bottom line, isn't it? Are you willing to accept through Christ Jesus? Are you willing to accept the unconditional, irrational, eternal, never-ending love for God, which exists in spite of you, is not contingent on anything about you, good or bad. It's simply because God chose to affix his love upon you, who by faith have expressed a willingness to accept his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me do something as we close Can you uh, stand, if you don't mind? Just for a brief time. I'd like to give you just a silent time, just a few seconds. 
what you think on the love of God, it's so different than any you've experienced. Would you, would you think on it just for a few seconds? Would you, would you thank him for it? Or maybe what you need to do is ask him to help you experience it. Would you maybe for the first time say, Oh God of love, who in your love has provided me with the inexpressible gift of forgiveness through Jesus, your son. Maybe you'll want to say, I accept you, Lord Jesus. Maybe you'll want to acknowledge that as Hosea went in person after his wife, the Lord Jesus came in person 2,000 years ago to suffer and die on a cross, to be buried and then to be raised from the dead. Maybe you want to acknowledge, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, now I believe you came in person for me, come into my life. Let me be enveloped from this day forward in your unconditional love for me and by thanksgiving, help me to love you more. Take some time, would you please, and then I'll close us in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for helping us to get <laughs> the extent of your love for us. Thank you for the marvelous picture you've given us through Hosea and Gomer. Thank you that as he went in person to redeem his wife, so too you've done the same for us. Thank you for coming in person for us and thus giving us not merely a verbal expression of your love, but a very, very literal physical expression. You came in person. When? At the right time. Just when we had enough of our sin and helplessness and weakness and ungodliness at the right time. Your death on a cross for us clicked, made sense, became receivable and believable. Oh, God in heaven, why in the world would anyone run from your love? Running after raisin cakes while you are ferociously in hot pursuit of us. Help us to stop, slow down, turn around, and run into your arms. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.